You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Uh, I'm John. I'm the host of the Brutally Speaking podcast, and uh, it's pretty much identical to this show. <laughs> this is a this this is the mirror match uh, that everyone's been clamoring for before you get to Goro. I believe is uh, who you fight after the mirror match. <laughs> hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope that you've been having a glorious week so far. I most certainly have been. I am looking forward to taking a month-long break. That's right. Starting next week, for the next four weeks, there will be no new Vox and Hops episodes. I'm looking forward to recharging my batteries, spending time with my family, and giving you all a chance to go back and listen to some of the episodes that you may have missed. I will be back in September in full force, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm very stoked to announce that I have teamed up with Indie Merch Store to bring you the official Vox and Hops Merch Store. Indie Merch makes the best merchandise. I have been working with them for years with Cryptopsy, so it was an easy choice choice to choose who I wanted to set up Vox and Hops' merch store with. You can head on over to my website, voxandhops.com slash merch. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S dot com slash merch to check out the full line of official Vox and Hops merchandise. When you are checking out, don't forget to use the promo code VOXHOPS10. That's V-O-X-H-O-P-S-1-0 and you will save 10% off of your entire order. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I would just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I'm also asking you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there is someone in your life that loves metal and craft beer, tell them to listen to Vox and Hops. You can tell them that there are over 280 episodes available on their favorite podcast platform with the world's best metal artists talking about their life, metal, and craft beer. If you were to encourage one of your friends to become a future Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, in today's episode, I'm with John Beatty of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops, episode number 288. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today I'm with John Beatty from the Brutally Speaking Podcast. Uh, this is an epic crossover episode. Uh, I am Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy, host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Uh, John, introduce yourself, even though I just did that, and uh, let's get this episode rolling. Uh, I'm John. I'm the host of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, and... Uh it's pretty much identical to this show. <laughs> this is a, this, it's crazy. This is the mirror match uh, that everyone's been clamoring for before you get to Goro, I believe, is uh, who you fight after the mirror match. <laughs> it's crazy that, that you are approaching 300 episodes. I'm about 30 out, and it's taken us this long to get together. And it took another podcaster to introduce us, which I thought was amazing. So shout out to Dewey from the Pure Pleasure podcast for hooking us up together. Absolutely. Dewey is a, a great friend to have. He, uh, the thing that I love and something I've talked about on my podcast, on other podcasts when I've done them, is that I think there's this weird belief that we're all in competition with each other. And the thing is, is it's like 
like if you do well or Dewey does well or, you know, and collectively we all help each other, all that's going to do is just kind of, you know, as Josta likes to say, the Jostaism of a uh, high tide raises all ships. I totally think that that's a very accurate statement. And to me, I don't understand why people get shitty about competition. Like to me, there were some podcasters that are now friends that I aspire to to want to be. And I use them as my barometer. You talked actually in your episode with Dewey that, you know, Jabberjaw initially was your benchmark of where you wanted to get the show to be very much the same. Jabberjaw was one of those to me where I was like, fuck, like this is kind of the creme de la creme of pod music based podcast. And I want to be a part of it. And so, you know, if I'm looking up to these people and using them as uh, friendly competition, you know, that's kind of how I take it. Um, me personally, um, I don't think that there's any need to. I mean, as Dewey joked, I think on my show when I talked to him about that, he's like, it's not like we're making millions and millions of dollars. So why the fuck are we fighting? <laughs> so, you know, growing up in the, the music scene, I got over that very quickly. You know, you're friends with bands. We're all unsigned here in Montreal. We all grew up playing the same gigs. And then there was always that one band that got the gig opening for the big band coming through town. And then we would get that little pang of jealousy. <laughs> but, you know, with maturity and over the years, you, it's just, you know, you're, it's pride because it is that. And, and I was totally going to quote Josta <laughs> before you beat me to it. I think, but it's true. I don't think you can do this podcast at this point and not quote Josta, at least in some capacity. <laughs> you want to get a boner in the jiffy? Chew it and do it. <laughs> the more people that listen to podcasts makes us happy. So, so let's just all spread the love spread the podcast love and uh, let's work together to make uh, metal and craft beer more well known and uh, more recognized and more appreciated as a culture absolutely i mean it's funny and, and something i was going to kind of bring up to you in your journey through doing the podcast is how have you found the the craft beer world and kind of the metal world to be because when i started it a lot of people were like yeah, like metal people like drinking, but it's not they don't. The perception is we don't have as refined a palate as maybe some would assume. Um, and, you know, really, since kind of the rebrand of the show, that's kind of been something I've wanted to kind of uh, really kind of bring to the forefront, not just with craft beer, but even craft cocktails. I actually just bought some loose leaf tea the other day that I'm really excited to get into and uh, kind of start bringing that into the show as well. But I mean, fuck, we have craft water now. <laughs> like, like I it's know. weird. Like I'm like, man, there's like so like craft is like it's not just macaroni and cheese anymore. Um, it has expanded so, so far beyond that that I'm just uh, excited. And I think, you know, with some of these festivals, even like Louder Than Life kind of marrying rock, metal, mainstream rock. Uh, even bringing in some kind of underground hip hop, you know, like having Action Bronson, Jelly Roll and stuff like that on. But then having I think they had, what, 50 different whiskey brands there. Um, nice. And so it's one of those that you're you're kind of starting to see even on a bigger scale. Um, people kind of really starting to kind of introduce these these different uh, platforms uh, and mediums together that I think between you and I and probably our listenership has long known goes together very well. Mm hmm. 
It's the finer things, the love of the finer things. And, and the more that people appreciate these finer, high-quality things, the more money they'll be able to invest and be able to sponsor future events. So it won't just be a huge beer company coming in and sponsoring a music festival. It might just be like a conglomeration of craft ones that can actually pool together their advertisings to get a sick beer garden instead of just having those shitty tents with two options and the, the macro craft that they're trying to pedal onto us, which uh, sometimes is good, but most of the time is not. On that note, I'm very thirsty because it's hot as hell here in Montreal. Not much different <laughs> in Michigan, so. <laughs> Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their life, music, and craft beer. Uh, Brutally Speaking is all about talking about <laughs> life, metal, and craft beer. <laughs> what beer are you enjoying on your side tonight that we will be sharing virtually? All right. So I have a, it is a company here local to Grand Rapids called City Built Brewing. Uh, you're going to hear probably a story about this this particular brewery in a little bit. Uh, this is called the Rolly on My Wrist. Uh, the cool thing about this brewery is they do a lot of um, kind of rap-themed kind of beers. So the Rolly on My Wrist is a pastry stout. It's 150 pounds of Sweet K's famous br- uh, fresh baked and frosted cinnamon rolls, Ugandan vanilla, brown sugar, and it's a collaboration with Ascension Brewing, and it comes in at a nice 10%. So it doesn't drink like a 10%. It drinks more kind of like a like a darker, um, just more like a dark beer. It, it's actually very light for as thick as it is. And as you can kind of see in the pour, it is very, very dark looking and very thick, but it is very sweet. Uh, the joke uh, you made earlier was that it sounds like diabetes in a glass. Um, it is one of my favorite <laughs> random beers that I found uh, recently. Um, City Built does a really phenomenal job, which is no small order uh, considering we have founders, you know, just across the town. Um and they're obviously one of the bigger mm-hmm. uh, crap breweries here in not only the state, but I would say almost globally now. I think they've been getting out internationally as well. On my side, I'm drinking something very interesting. It's this brand new uh, collab brew. It is a blend. So it's, it's very interesting. A la fue are uh, Quebec's barrel kings. They're one of the first ones that started uh, aging brews in barrels, mm. uh, mostly wild fermentation really interesting so what they did this year and last year they they do like series where each month they they release a collab with a different brewery mm. uh last year was with their rouge de mekinac which is a red flanders ale uh this year they went for something a little bit more wild a little bit more creative uh they took their qv western which is basically the closest thing that we, that we can get to a lambic here in quebec uh, it's won a bunch of uh, sour and wild beer goes um beer awards and it's it's tart and delicious and they have blended it with super hype uh new england ipa breweries so so this specific one is with a uh, brewski which i love to death they do mad haze and they do killer uh fruited sours mm. such as brutal juice which uh, came out earlier with a, a vox and hops collab right there so this is their propaganda and blend of qv western this is 7.4 percent abv um very excited to try this and i'm super stoked that i got my hands on one because it's a very hype and very cool i'm gonna crack this pour this open and i want you to tell me all about your very first beer john have you ever um it's <laughs> my first beer i think is like everybody actually um was bud light because uh, it didn't taste like anything you know the joke always is is uh what's the closest you can get to fucking in water it's like drinking bud light or something to that effect i forget the the full joke but and uh I would just drink it because it was cheap. Uh, it didn't taste bad. Uh, didn't really have any flavor. And 
I was always a Jack Daniels person, like straight away. Um, didn't know that I would like Jack Daniels. It was just one of those, like everyone I knew, like all of the metal people I loved, uh, love Jack Daniels. Motley Crue was Jack Daniels drinkers. So I was like, guess I'm a whiskey drinker and just always have stuck by Jack Daniels initially. Um, but that was the first beer was Bud Light. I would say the first what I'll call a real beer that I really started to enjoy uh, was actually Founders. Um, and it was their um, breakfast out. And I found yeah, that I am, I, at the time, I was really predisposed to just liking stouts and porters. That was all I wanted. Um, get out of here with IPAs, anything light, didn't care. Um, over the last, I'd say, 10 years, I've really kind of refined my palate. And thanks to Mark from Nothing More, uh, he's a big fruited uh, sour goza fan, and he has gotten me to get into some of those from like Martin Brewing House uh, down there in San Antonio. And I actually now will start looking at sours and just kind of going, OK, like, I think that's going to be good. I hope it's going to be good. Um, he gave me a pickle sour beer that was fucking disgusting um, recently and. <laughs> then he gave me a, a spicy <laughs> one when we were out in San Antonio a couple of months ago that gave me like instant heartburn. And I was like, I, I a, it tastes gross and it gave me heartburn. It's a double no for me. But <laughs> I think that's the fun thing um, that I've kind of learned now and just having a palate that enjoys everything, even kind of expanding into liquor as well, is uh, just seeing what different places can do and really traveling a lot more between my wife and I over the last decade and, and kind of getting to experience and taste local flavor, literally. Um, and just kind of seeing what places do. Um, I, I haven't gone to Canada. I think something you had said in the previous episode was that you guys have a limit as to how high up your, your APV can go. APV can hit. Yeah. Here in, in Quebec, it's 12%. Oh, I mean, so, that's still so pretty good. See a stout. If you see a stout with 11.9 on it, you know that it's higher than 12%. <laughs> it's the legality <laughs> that's, that's of it. The, it's the running gag in the breweries. Uh, cheers to you before I taste this. I'm excited to hear how that tastes. It smells wild and amazing, but fruity at the same time. It's super fucked up. Is it kind of thick? Does it got like legs on it? Mm -mm. It's got a nice body to it, but it's still not everything. See, it's juicy, but still got that sour tang of the uh, La Cuvée Western. Um, very interesting, uh, crazy crushable, even though it's got that 7.4% ABV. Um, killer, killer. Wild and weird, but juicy at the same time. Uh, and it's cool, you know, because LFU are just teaming up with the most hype breweries when them themselves are not necessarily any longer a hype brewery. So it's a cool way to keep themselves involved in the craft beer scene here in Quebec, which I think is awesome. What uh, What is typically your uh, go-to for, like when you're going to a store and you're going to buy beer or whatever, what is, what, how do, what is your process of selecting a beer? Well, when I go buy a beer, I go to La Canette, which is my favorite local craft beer store. I'll give them a little plug. I love them to death. I have my four-pack of death there every week where I select four beers, and if you buy them, you get 5% off. Mm. I love them to death. Uh, their owner, Kevin, is a great human. It's cl so close to my house. It's just really a happenstance that my... The one that's so close to my house ended up becoming my favorite place, but it's because it's ran by a dude that uh, he, he curates it the way that I would curate my playlists oh, and stuff. Okay. It's 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 not an overstocking. It's a small place. Everything goes into a fridge. Everything is cold. Everything is taken care of, and he doesn't just buy everything. He only buys the stuff that he loves. So when I walk into a craft beer store such as that Canette, uh, I go immediately for Krispies. I, I want like a nice, nice lager. 
Uh, and then my attention is immediately drawn to the haze. Mm. I want to see what fresh haze he has, uh, which I normally know because he's told me because <laughs> so we talk a lot and I, I pick up whatever's cool from that week or I've told him to put aside for me. And then I, I'll wrap up typically with a with a sour with a, I, with a big heavy stout, normally like a bourbon barrel aged coffee stout. That's really a my nightcap nail in the coffin brew. But if it's like a nice long day and I'm going to go for a few hours, I'll definitely sneak in some sours there as well. Interesting. I always I'm all over the board. <laughs> well, no. And, and I think that's the funny thing is like is in listening to your show, you know, you're what I would call like kind of the the beer drinkers, beer drinker. Like you are aware you're probably a, of the capacity to where if you read the ingredients and you're like, ah, Chinook Clops, I'm not really, like, haven't really enjoyed anything that's got that, I'm more of a Simcoe kind of guy or whatever, like, to me, and this this gets me in trouble because I won't look at anything other than what the, like, flavor profile is supposed to be. So if I see a beer and I'm reading it and I'm like, okay, like, it's got, you know, coconut, like a pineapple flavor, I'm not really even looking at anything else. I'm like, coconut and pineapple, huh. All right, that... That could be really cool. If you like pina colada. And so, yeah. And so, like, there are things like that where I just read what the thing is. I don't pay attention to the APV. I don't pay attention to if it's a stout porter or whatever. I'm just kind of reading, like, what sounds delicious. And then same with, like, you know, with this, I just see double chocolate fudge brownie stout. And it's like, okay, I know it's a stout, but it's, like, double chocolate. All right. that Any double chocolate, anything I've had in a beer usually is really good. The brownie aspect you may not get, but that's kind of lending more off of, you know, the chocolate flavor. Um, but it's it's, again, kind of like the can. If a can looks cool, I'll go grab it. Um, and I'm more of just kind of a like, all right, does this sound good? No, I, I'm very in tune with what's coming out here locally. Uh, it's different if I'm traveling, obviously, but then I'll, I'll go for the local expert and see what's hype, what's cool, uh, what it makes people excited here that's definitely what's going on. So, so I'm very, I know what beers are coming out here in Quebec. I know what beers I want to taste and I know what beers I have to taste. So I hunt them down and I get them, but I'm, I'm, and I know which breweries and I have breweries that I really enjoy. I know which brewers are making these beers. I know who I trust and I know who I want to invest in for sure. What's one of the most adventurous beers you've, you've come across? Oh, the, the most recent one, one of my most recent collabs, the brutal juice that I mentioned earlier with Brewski, it, it shouldn't have worked. It's a <laughs> beer that shouldn't have worked, but Derek, their head brewer is just such a mastermind. Um, the, the beer came to life because I drink, they make brew juices. It's their fruited sours. I drink them as a hangover cure. Typically, <laughs> you know, and they, and they're fruity. They got the fruit puree. You got the little hair of the dog aspect. But I also really like coffee. So in the morning, I'll definitely have a coffee with my brew juice. Mm. Hence the creation of Brutal Juice. Gotcha. So, so of course, I had to say Brutal Juice because everything is brutal with me, just like you. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I get called out on that quite a bit, actually, that I'm, I'm not as brutal <laughs> as apparently I claim to be. It was, it was an easy one. It was... I. I, I I'm not certain, but it might actually have been Kevin's idea mm. from like Annette. I think it was from a, a lot of my collab ideas. I bounce off his head because he really knows what's going on in the scene. So, so I pitched this idea to the Brewski team and they were like, oh, let's do it like a breakfast. Let's do like oatmeal and they'll put maple syrup and we'll make it as dark as we can. And, and then they took it from there. So, you know, like a fruited sour with 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 deep, dark red blackberries mm. with coffee with maple syrup it shouldn't work but it totally did and it was killer just just so damn good i, I 
sincerely hope they bring it back. <laughs> there was a, I can't remember where the, the brewer ended up, but there was a small like local brewery here and they used to do a double bubble IPA and they would put like, really? I, I might have the number wrong, but I swear they said like they put 50 pounds of double bubble, like just <laughs> unwrap it, throw it in and that's the beer. Um, they put it in the mash or in the, the I, after. Uh, it must be with the man. I don't know. I can I can't imagine where that would go. I'm trying to remember because obviously I feel like the sugars uh, would drastically impact uh, the ABV. Yeah, so I feel like they would have put it in first to kind of help control mm-hmm. that. But I'm trying now. I'm thinking back to like the few times I've actually brewed beer. I'm trying to think of like at what point do you try to get as much of the sugar to interact with the yeast? And I feel like it's in the very beginning. So I feel like that would be something they would do right away in that process is brew it with, uh, with everything right away. But yeah, that was, that was one of the more adventurous beers I've ever had. Um, I also enjoy mixing beer and liquor, um, and, and ciders and so forth. Uh, I think a classic one is just taking like a good dry cider and putting, uh, like a shot of Goldschlager or something in there. So you get a nice, like apple cinnamon flavor, Typically, I'll do like a a nice vanilla vodka in like a good uh, chocolate or coffee stout. So you kind of get like that coffee and cream kind of flavor going on. Very cool. Oh, yeah. Alcoholic through and through. That's something that that I'm messing around with. I love creating collabs, and I I, I think I've seen it happen elsewhere. You might have seen it as well. I'd love to do like a collab where it's two beers and the beers stand up on their own. Mm. But if you mix them together, they become something else. So I've done that with cherry wheat and Guinness. Um, it basically is kind of a different take on like a, what is that? A, a dark and stormy. That's a liquor, um, a black and tan kind of, but in mm. a different capacity. But really it was just a very cheap way for me to try to make uh, a beer that they have out here at Founders called the uh, Big Luscious. And it's like a chocolate cherry kind of thing. So it was just a like hobo way of me making that beer. I love it. Yeah, But yeah, mixing beers is great. I, I, kind of a garbage person i'll i'll mix whatever and try it at least once just to see if it tastes good and it, sometimes <laughs> like you you look really cool after the fact and be like oh yeah, you want to try this and people are like oh my god that tastes delicious and you're like i know i came up with that <laughs> oh, i want to hear about the soundtrack of your youth when you're growing up in your parents and guardians house what music was playing when you were not in control of the radio what music did your parents or guardians listen to so being a product of the 80s uh mtv was just constantly on in our house like just straight up leave it on that channel um, so that's everything from, you know, the early beginnings of like the tail end of like NWA into Dr. Dre's The Chronic Record, uh, Snoop Dogg, um, Tupac Biggie, obviously then, you know, with like 120 minutes, uh, getting to hear stuff like the Toadies and, uh, even like the Melvins and Nirvana as they were kind of breaking, uh, obviously lots of hair metal. Um, when it comes to like actual CDs and listening to stuff beyond what was on MTV, my mom is really big into like Rod Stewart, uh, and this, uh, artist named Lobo, which all I remember is the song you and me and a dog named boo. And I fucking hated that song. Um, but a lot of like classic stuff like that. Uh, my dad would listen to a lot of like great white, uh, journey poison, um, even some like slaughter skid row, all that kind of stuff. And then Somewhere kind of along the way with thanks to Headbangers Ball, you know, getting introduced to bands like Megadeth, uh, Testament, um, obviously Metallica and weird bands like Primus. I remember my dad getting uh, Sailing the Seas of Cheese record or whatever. Um, Very eclectic uh, listening experiences uh, from my parents. 
And then even getting to the point where like when I started getting into kind of quote unquote my own music of, uh, you know, like the corns and stains and stuff like that. And some of the heavier bands that started to come out at the time, um, even though like, like I remember when Dookie came out, I wasn't allowed to have that because it swore and my dad didn't think I could under comprehend or should be listening to some of the lyrical concepts on that record. But, uh, yeah, Marilyn Manson was a big one. I remember having to, uh, make a friend burn me a tape, an actual cassette tape. And I would listen to it when I was quote unquote going to bed and, uh, like under your pillow. I had like those shitty headphones that were like mostly, uh, like the super uncomfortable, like costs, uh, K O S S, uh, headphones that were like $10 for the pair. And they were like (laughs) too trebly, had no bass, just really thin sounding. And on my Sony Walkman, um, remember listening to, uh, and I cry superstar when it had first come oh, out yeah. and just being like scared to death, but like in a really Insane. fun way where it's like, I shouldn't be listening to this, but it's exciting and it's, it's new. I've never really heard anything like this. And I don't know. It, it's kind of funny. Cause I, I, I talk about sometimes like growing up in this interesting era of music where, you know, we, we saw like the eighties coming through with the eighties shred, like metal players and so forth. And to me, it, became comical toward the end but when you really think about that era of music it was such a virtuosic environment like everybody like look at some like mr big everyone knows the one fucking song now that record lean into it that had the song on it you know uh to be with you like that band eric martin is a fucking phenomenal singer billy sheenan is like one of the best bass players still to this day uh, like every Paul Gilbert, like everybody in that fucking band still to this day can play circles around most anybody now. And that was the thing back then is like, everybody was fucking good. And they were gorgeous, <laughs> stupidly gorgeous on top of it, which, which is, you know, that was the difference between the seventies. Absolutely. Cause they had to look good. <laughs> they had to look good, <laughs> but it was a thing where it's like, you know, I feel very blessed to have come in, you know, toward the middle to late end of the eighties where you're seeing, you know, hair metal, you're starting to see like pop music. Pop music was interesting because it encompassed so much. It was like pop music could be anything from Motley Crue to, you know, Billy Ocean. And it all was popular. Um, Then kind of coming into the early 90s of grunge and, you know, the uh, pop music of like, you know, the Teddy Riley's coming out of, you know, Rex and FX doing stuff like that. You had kind of the beginnings of the hip hop scene, the underground hip hop scene, you know, with, uh, you know, Jay Dilla and slum village and some of those guys coming out of Detroit and just so many great musicians of all eras to then kind of getting into the mid nineties where you have more of like pop pop and like ska is kind of coming to the mainstream, which I, I, that doesn't need to happen any ever again, but, um, no, no resurgence of ska. My wife would be happy. It's just interesting to kind of see what we've lived through in a, you know, 35 years of music and just seeing how much it's changed and where it's gone. I don't think there's ever been this much growth, uh, in music in such a, such a time frame as where we're at now currently and where we've been when we started listening to music personally. Let's talk about podcasting. I'm very interested whenever I sit down with a fellow podcaster to hear their podcast story. Uh, I know why I became a podcaster. It's because I goddamn love it. Uh, why did you end up having conversations with people recording it and then releasing it for everyone to listen to. (laughs) This sounds so shitty of me to say it like this, but 
Um, I got tired of seeing interviews with bands that I really loved and seeing people squander their opportunities by asking bullshit. Every Time I Die is one of my favorite bands. And I don't know how many interviews I've seen with people on Warp Tour uh, over the years of someone being like, oh, so tell me about your new record. And they're like, <laughs> it's out. It was cool. Oh, <laughs> any crazy stories? And you're like, come on, like ask something better than that. Like, and that was like the thing that just kind of like really bothered me was like, I would see all these people getting what I perceive to be really great opportunities to talk to people that I have always found interesting. And they're just not either doing their due diligence. Like, you know, you've talked about doing the heavy Montreal uh, interviews and so forth. So you're very much aware of doing the festival junket where you're, you're like, Hey, you want to talk to so-and-so? Sure. All right. You got 10 minutes. Go. And then you're like, yeah, that's tough. all right. I a, didn't yeah. know I was going to talk to this dude. Now I have 10 minutes to try to make something be worth a shit. Um, at least I have the beer. I have the beer that helps. Yeah. Me. And, it, and it's one of those where it's, uh, it's hard sometimes to, to make something like that good, but you can tell sometimes when you see some of these interviews that are on like YouTube and so forth of someone who you feel like did it for the free ticket to the festival. Um, I know in the few festivals that I've gotten to cover, uh, I, myself, I think during the full weekend at Sonic temple, I think I got to watch six or seven bands for the whole week weekend i should say um because i was just i wanted to be in the tent i wanted to be there for any opportunity i could get and i got some really good ones and it was funny because other press people were like why the fuck did you get to talk to so and so i was told they're not doing press and i'm like i couldn't tell you man like i was i was there i was there um yeah so it's one of those where i feel like because that's sort of how i came into wanting to do this of feeling like i could do better than what i was seeing I feel like any opportunity I get, I have to crush and I have to be willing to be available and present for these opportunities because, and I've even joked, if someone watches my interview and they're like, this fucking sucks, I could do better. I hope you, I hope you have the same thing I do. Go start your own show. I have some amazing friends that I've made because of having that initial thought of I could do better. Now Mm -hmm. let me figure this, let me figure out how to do it. Um, and the more the merrier, please challenge us, make podcasting better. And I think that's, I think that's the thing too, that it it makes this fun. Like I said, it's not a competition, but nothing Mm -hmm. inspires me more than when like, maybe I'll have had someone on. And I know like you and I recently have had a lot of the same people on, I think probably because Dewey introducing us to these people. And it's one of those where like, sometimes like I'll ask something and I feel like I got like maybe I didn't ask it a certain way or it wasn't very clear what I was trying to go for. But then like, there's been times like you'll ask something or like Dewey will ask something. And I'm like, fuck, that was a way better question. And then like the response (laughs) was way better or the engagement as a result of is way better. And I totally listen to podcasts to be entertained, but I also listen to them and study them kind of like, like film for like sports where it's like, I like how this person, you know, ask this question like something i've been trying to do a lot more of and i actually learned it by interviewing more people not from here in the states uh and and that english isn't their first language something i've noticed from listening to a lot of the interviews and, and interviewing people from abroad is that they have this tendency and i wish us americans could learn from it so well is to if you don't know something or you don't know how you want to say something just fucking stop think about it (laughs) have it come out the way you want 
Because the adverse on our side of it is if you're just blabbing through trying to come up with whatever's in your head, trying to edit that so it's seamless, <laughs> it's a nightmare. And you're going to clearly hear where it was edited. I think like you had said something in a previous episode about how you'll re-say the, like, go back like five or six words. If I stutter on something, I, I've trained myself to to restart and to say it properly. Something that's helped me a lot, and it's via Zoom, and I hope that I bring it back to real life. It's the Fred Rogers technique of interviews where, and it's, I watched that movie, not the, like the documentary yeah. about him, not, the not Tom the Hanks Tom movie. Hanks yeah. movie. Not the Tom Hanks, the, yep. the documentary version. And there's this thing where he would do, and he would just wait. He would ask a question, and then the person would speak, and then he would wait mm. just a little bit longer before asking the next question. And because of Zoom, or because of doing it remotely like this, you're never sure if the person's actually finished, or if it's lagging, or if it's happening. So it's something that has worked to my benefit, where I, I just wait that extra second, and then the person says something even more, mm. and it's always even a little bit deeper. And I think that's very interesting. I think it's awesome that you listen to podcasts to, to train yourself. That's, that's something admirable, and I wish that I... I did that. I, I, it's something that I'm going to strive to to move towards to hone in on my craft of, of interviewing people. Do you listen back when you're done with these? Like, do you actually go back and listen to them as you're maybe editing? Like, I, I kind of have adopted more of like Dewey's philosophy of just like just throw it up unless there's kind of like an obvious like connection issue or whatever. And then obviously try to shrink that down. So it sounds a little bit more natural. Um but I will listen to it as I'm kind of listening. Cause like now I'll do like audiograms to post on socials and so forth. Um, but then I'll even listen to the finished product just to make sure that maybe there wasn't something I missed or as I was listening to it going like, Oh fuck, I totally cut that person off. So like I've learned to, if I know because I don't want something to go away cause I've, I've lost really good opportunities to ask a really really great question in the moment, but I have to cut off the guest to be like, Hey, Hey, hold on just a second. And then going like, and I've realized I have to go like, I'm sorry for cutting you off. Cause like that's half of it. I realized I wasn't apologizing and that sucked. But then I realized as a result of listening back to episodes where I do that, I'd also forget to bring it back so that the guest could finish their initial. Yeah. 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 So it's things like that. I think are what separates those of us who are hobbyists from those who want to be more professional, uh, learning how to advance yourself uh, in this and making it the best it can be. I definitely listen back to everything because I edit everything myself. And, and with the wide time between the interview to when I release it, and I typically edit about a week out prior to release date, um, I get to relive these conversations and, and reflect upon how it went. But I edited it at 2.5 the speed, so everything's a little bit faster. <laughs> but but it's, it's, it's very interesting, and, and especially if, if it's with someone that I really connected with and, and, and some, like, a friend. I, it's happened to me where I've, like, interviewed a friend, and I edited it, like, way later for some reason, and it's just we're, like we're hanging out again. Makes me so happy. But to, to hone in and to, to – I realize that I have this habit that I try not to do anymore, that when I – I'm uncomfortable. I, I laugh. So I'll, I'll cut those out of the podcast episode, but they will live forever on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> what is, uh, this is something I've enjoyed asking people who do podcasting. What is something in doing the podcast that you've learned about yourself that you weren't aware of before? I'm not as much of an introvert as I thought I was. Really? Yeah. 
even doing even doing the band thing like you didn't come to that realization at any other point no no because i was always with cryptopsy and i it was always a struggle accepting that i should have been there mm. over the past few years i'm finally comfortable being the singer of cryptopsy it's been like my, my first album with them <laughs> 14 <Yeah>. years <laughs> <laughs> but my first album was such a disaster you know and then to to get that a welcome such a hideous welcome really was hard on my ego mm. so so it took many years of rebuilding uh but with the podcast it, it's and I, and I something this is a very strange thing that that grew up in my house um my mother speaks english and we live in quebec uh she doesn't speak french very often mm. and she has trouble she can't speak french but she's very timid when it comes to that so when i was a young child whenever we were to order pizza because I went to French elementary school, she would make me call. Okay. And this is something, to this day, I, I hate calling people on the phone and having to speak to them. So my wife does a lot of it for me to this day. So this is something that is tied into me believing that I'm introvert. But it's, it's this weird, fucked up thing in my head that where I can sit down and have a conversation with you, I've never spoke to you before in my life, and I'm completely comfortable. Yeah. But to call someone on the phone, I don't know. It's something that has glitched into me from my childhood. See, what's weird is I, I would feel like it would almost be the exact opposite of that because we grew up in the generation where we didn't have texting. You didn't have email. So, like, yeah, you yeah. had to have more one-on-one -on -one discourse with people. And I think that's actually what drew me in. The other thing that drew me into podcasting as a, as a medium was it harkens back to the thing i mean i can just talk about anything and everything but like the connection the one-on-one -on -one connection with conversating with somebody i don't know if this is fun if you can't mention names what is someone that you've asked for and they just flat out were like nope i've had a lot because of the the the, the booze of Ex course same. because of the beer or i've had some where it was booked and it was totally going to happen huge bassist from a monumental band and the, the day before he realized that it was about beer and it totally got canceled mm. So, no, no, there's nothing, there's never been anything too horrible, give, given like the first hundred episodes were my friends, right. right? So, I'm just writing my friends, and once you get one friend, another friend wants to be on, so it was very easy because of Cryptopsy's uh, legacy, to and touring, I toured many, many years with many amazing people to get people on, on the podcast, so. Yeah, I think that's the, uh, the interesting thing. One of the more and I kept it in on both ends of the conversation just because a, I felt proud of it. But I also wanted to show like a little bit of humility on my side where I was like, I was such a fucking egotistical prick in this like split second that I was like, yeah, I need to leave that in because like then you can hear me literally working uh, to, to rectify the situation. But I had uh, Tommy Victor from Prong on. And I mean, if you've heard him on again, just a show like dude's fucking a great guest. And he comes on and I'm like, I'm on my like lunch break at work in my car with like my laptop and all this like extra like really? shit. And people are just unbelievable. If people were to see like some of the places I've been oh, yeah, when yeah. I'm doing these interviews <laughs> just because I, I want to get, get them, like it's kind of amusing. But he starts off and he was like, got to you know, got to say I was a little bit nervous for this one. And we had just put out the episode with uh, Brian from Corn. And so I was like, okay, like big guest and, and no offense to Tommy or Prong, but like, you know, corn is of their stature and, and Prong is where they are. And so I was like, oh, like, you know, kind of said something like, oh, it doesn't, you know, why? Because of like who we just had on or whatever. Like, and he was like, no, I don't drink. And I was like, oh, fuck. I look like a yeah, dick yeah. 
Because like I was like, oh, because we're so big and we pull in these yeah. people, and you're like, no. And then I, at that point, like you know, I had done my due diligence and prepped, and I was like, okay, like now I need to turn this dude around. Like I need to make him be fully engaged and really like glad he came on to do the show. And at the end of it, he was like, you know, I'm really glad I didn't turn this down. And you asked really great questions and ending questions that I'm probably going to think about even after we're done with this. Cause they were just really good questions. Like you did a really good job. Like I'm, I'm really glad I did this, you know, so kudos to you. And I was like, fuck yeah. Um, but it was one of those, like, I think sometimes that's the thing, like, where and I'm sure you're the same like where I feel like I have to fight sometimes to prove that the show isn't a one trick pony like maybe the name would insist or, in, or make someone think it is like you are probably one of the few that because of your name and because of the show totally get where I'm coming from with it but I, I rarely fight for it I, I, I did I, I did a whole sober February right where I booked everything with that in mind and I sought out artists that were sober so so that aspect of it i understand and i definitely wanted to do that and i will do it again because it was very interesting and i think it's very important to uh you know showcase a moderate and responsible relationship with alcohol absolutely as much as i love drinking and i love talking about drinking and sharing drinks with people i think it's important to to have a balanced relationship with drinking so that's really why i did sober february and to connect with artists and to create a relationship and to create a a platform where i can look back at and say oh but i've done this i can do episodes with people it's not just about beer i also get a lot of people that are afraid because it's craft beer <laughs> so, so so but oh i'm not the biggest that's like it doesn't matter we're just gonna bring whatever you want what has been one of your your favorite guests that like Okay, I guess I'll preface it by saying this. So when I started the show, I had a what I called a, a one year plan. And then I had like a five year goal of like people I wanted to have on where I was like, within five years, this is roughly the level I hope to be at where I can get X, Y and Z. Are you, are you there? Because you're at your five years now. Um, I crushed most of my one year and five year goals before my first year was done. One of the last goals I really have, which it was going to be. I'm approaching it, but I think due to the pandemic, I kind of lost about a year and a half to really make this a viable, realistic goal uh, was to get approved for an international festival uh, as press. Um, because at that point, that means you have to have either grown the show to be at a level where people internationally know of it or that your presence in an area is strong enough uh, numbers wise that you can back like why you deserve to be there. Um it's a weird acceptance thing that apparently I need. <laughs> you, you, you can definitely do that. I, I think the pandemic would have helped because we could talk to anyone. Yeah. And we, we, we definitely did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because before it was always face to face. I would have never done this like this. No. It was it, it was so, so. No, no. Vox and Hops was supposed to be backstage in a tour bus, in a bar, um, in a van. That that was Vox and Hops. And, and Vox and Hops for myself, really, up until the pandemic. I didn't have a list. I was hanging out with my friends and drinking craft beer and asking them questions. That's really what Vox and Hops is all about. So, so when the pandemic hit and I realized everyone was home, I was like, then I made a list. I have a COVID list. It's still on my phone. And I think I've nailed most of those. There's a few, you know, there's obviously the, the huge megastars, which I have not got yet, but hope to get one day, such as like Mike Patton. I'm circling him. I'm, I, I'm circling him. I've done 
people from three of his projects. <laughs> Trace Bruance. That was a big one. Get, getting Trace Bruance was something that was really cool for me. I listened to Mr. Bungle and, uh, you know, Secret Chiefs 3. That was actually, speaking of records that I grew up on, Cali- the California Mr. Bungle record. Hell yeah. Uh, got a lot of love. And that weird one, I can never remember what it's called, but with the weird, like, Dis- clown. Disco, Disco Volante? No, no, it's to... Is it? I think it's just a, a self titled. Yeah, Am I crazy. I think so. And it's got that lenticular yeah. cover of the clown face thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That used to Disco Volante is the one in between there. That's like super jazzy and fucked okay. up. Okay. Yeah, California record got played a lot in my house as a as a kid, and I was like, really, so lucky. <laughs> Maynard from Tool. It's all these like basically the kids, the people that I listened to when I was. Would young, you really right? like? This sounds weird. Do you really want to talk to Maynard? Because I feel like that's the kind of a dude who wouldn't take it seriously, would kind of be very whatever, and would just make it difficult. And I feel like that would ruin my love of like Meredith Noms is like one of my favorite records of all times. Yeah. I feel like if he was a dick to me or made fun of me, and I and whether I realized it in the time or not, I feel like I would be like, man, <laughs> fuck this dude, and like break all these records. Yeah, and shit. I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that. I was, you know, I, that's when when I set up to do Guar. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to interview them for real. Who did Who did you talk to from Guar? Uh, Balsack and the Troll. Okay, see, I got to talk to Cave Michael. Troll. And I asked the publicist, "Can I talk to him as him, not uh, Blothar?" And he was like, no, they're always in character. And I was like, that's, and I was like, it's so, how the (laughs) fuck do you prepare to talk to a character that doesn't care about anything? And so I did, I literally prepared two sets of questions and I showed up to the show the next day and I was like, Hey, I know your publicist said that I have to interview you as Blothar. I legitimately have like two and a half pages of questions for you as Michael. I'm good to go with whatever you want to do, but just know I would like to talk to you as the person. And he was like, let's do that then. But I think awesome. I think it's because I, I did the work and I, he, he saw that like I didn't waste my fucking time. It kind of instilled a little bit of uh, trust uh, to, to do an interview as himself. But I commend anyone who has interviewed Guar as Guar because I feel like that's just it, it's got to be yeah, so they were hard. cool. They were cool. I went through my what I wanted to ask them and they answered it as themselves but also with the attitude of the characters. It's just such a mind fuck, dude. <laughs> hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsheads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. 
Let's talk about collabs. Mm. Have you done a collab? I live for collabs. I'm so excited about collabs. I love making beers. Has there been a brutally speaking beer release? Not yet. Um, I really want to do, and actually City Build is a brewery I want to work with. My thing is I want to do a beer, but I understand at least in from my perspective of wanting to do something I have nothing to offer the brewery. Like I don't have a name big enough to like be like, oh my god, you you're doing a beer. Like all, everyone's gonna want to buy that because of that. It, that's not the case. Um, so what I want to do is I want to come up with a beer that I think is good. It's actually what I would want to drink and I'd want to try. And that's gonna kind of be my contribution to the process. And yeah, we'll put like you know my logo like person thing on it or whatever. And and you know I'll try to do as much as I can to push it. But beyond that, I want the beer to stand alone as something that will sell because at the end of the day, that's what matters in that space is it has to sell. Um, Will it ever be a mainstay? No, I would love it to be something where it's like, you know, a lot of these other breweries do very limited series where it's like every year we do this thing, whatever this thing is called. And they do these collaborations. So my idea um, was to do. Um, a rum barrel coffee flavored beer because I've not really seen that. Um, but the rum barrel will allow it to kind of get a, that sweet flavor to kind of counter uh, to counter kind of the bitter flavor of the coffee. Um, and it's not something I've really seen done uh, that I can think of. And the other idea I had was doing a tequila barrel finished uh, drink. There. Or maybe even a gin. There is a gin drink that I've made uh, that a friend of mine gave me the recipe for, and I didn't have all the ingredients, so I kind of had to doctor it up with what I had. And my idea was, since the uh, the gin that I uh, made it with was local to here in town and actually is like a block and a half away from City Built, my goal was to go, hey, even more collaboration. Let's get Hell them. Yes. Give us a gin barrel. We'll make something as close to this drink as I can possibly get in a beer form. And then that'll be that. Um, when I kind of approached that idea with Ed, who owns City Built, he was like, we're actually already working with them and we're doing something with their gin barrels. And I was like, ah, fuck. So I was on to a good idea, but they're already doing it on their own. That idea actually came from founders doing because I like port wine. They did a port wine beer. That was fucking phenomenal. And I can't believe I'd never thought to have ever done something in a wine barrel or anything like that. Um, I mean, we see so much of it with uh, sherry casks and, you know, obviously whiskey barrels and so forth. So, like, it seems like a no brainer that someone would have done it. But um, my goal is to kind of marry again, kind of marry like liquor and beer in some way. And if we can do it with someone that's local uh, beyond just the brewery, like that's something I'm really interested in. Uh, because, again, I'm all about collaborating with as many people as possible to make something that didn't exist until the th- two or three of us got together. Um, I've even kind of worked up a name, um, kind of getting ahead of it. But like uh, with them being called City Built and us being called Brutally Speaking, uh, I think we was going to go with something like City Brute. Um, kind of just a rough idea. So the the foundation is there. The pandemic kind of threw a lot of things off as far as the schedule of when they were going to start doing their mainstays and and all the other things that they keep making. Um, So it looks like we're probably looking at maybe next year uh, before we can do it. But it is definitely something I want to do. I feel kind of blessed and also cursed in the fact that I live (laughs) where Founders is and Bells is like an hour away and stuff like that where I have these big breweries so I can kind of see what a lot of people are doing 
But I also feel like it makes it harder because people are trying to compete for any little bit of space they can get. So maybe doing a collab with me doesn't make a whole lot of sense when they could do something that makes more sense for their own business. Um, So it's really just kind of figuring out where everything fits and how to do it. Because you don't want to release a beer that makes no sense seasonally. Like if you're putting out a stout and you're trying to like you're like, oh, well, we have availability in spring. And you're like, no one's drinking stouts in spring. Like typically it's always stout season. I mean, for me, yes, it is. But <laughs> I mean, if you know your beer seasons, you know that that's typically your, yeah. your fall and winter beers. Um, so it is something I want to do. It is something that I have put a lot of thought into and have started the initial groundwork conversations to do. Uh, even the same, uh, I'm trying to even get like a coffee made. Um, I'm not the biggest coffee drinker, but I find that to be interesting. And I feel like just kind of putting yourself into something else and kind of going like, this is, this is me in a different, uh, capacity I think is really interesting. So don't know what that's going to look like, but have some ideas, uh, as well for that. I have a question for you in the space of death metal. Cause like, it's not something I, I'm not the biggest fan of and in, in doing my other co-host podcast discography discussion like all this year I feel like all he's been throwing at me is like death metal shit like <laughs> where I'm like I feel like the only new thing that I can notice about this is like there's tinges of like symphonic black metal kind of thrown in there but like <laughs> I don't really know much about that either so I fuck I don't know but something I've always thought to be kind of interesting and especially from the vocalist perspective you know, you have some of these bands and, you know, like, um, I think like we did one on Cannibal Corpse and, or not Cannibal Corpse, I'm sorry, Cattle Decapitation. And it was wild because like, I was really not a fan of that band's early stuff. Uh, as they have gone on, I do see the growth and maturity in the band, uh, within the genre and so forth. But like the thing that's crazy too, is like when you read the lyrics and you see some of these lyrics and they're, they're really like thought provoking but unfortunately i feel like given how they have to be presented uh does them no favors is it hard to write lyrics that mean something to you but given how you have to present them based on the band that you're in knowing that largely people are probably not even going to know that you're literally saying (laughs) anything that you're saying Um, I find concepts. I, I really enjoy concept records for that exact reason. Uh, I've been doing that since 2012, since our self-titled. So I, I find a concept that I want to explore, and then I am more of like a storyteller. So I find real-life things that have happened, horrible atrocities, and, and then I just basically storytell what happened. And I try to be as poetic, poetic as I can be, but... I'm definitely, you know, like my predecessor, the original vocalist of Cryptopsy, Lord Worm, was a masterful extreme metal lyricist. Just just dark, poetic humor, very obscure, strange. And, and that really set the bar for Cryptopsy lyrics. Uh, Mike DeSalvo came in at a different um, way of approaching lyrics. He's a bit more straightforward, but still very intelligently presented. So, so I had a lot to work with I, I could either go one way or the other and i really went just in my own voice I, I try to be descriptive and obscure uh dark uh gory uh having played none so vile in its entirety really helped me um construct my lyrics as i really got to understand lord worm's thought process a little bit better when it came to constructing lyrics i'm definitely nowhere near him he's got this weird strange approach to writing uh is 
I, you know, I'm definitely not a writer. I'm not someone that writes actively and says, this is a song. And Lord Worm was like that. He had like a book of lyrics, poems. I'm not like that. I'll attack a song and I'll write lyrics for that song. But I know what my concepts are about. And that's the biggest, biggest struggle to find something to write about. Something that can fall into what Cryptopsy needs to be and something that I'm comfortable to explain. Interesting. Yeah, it's 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 a genre that few bands like really in the extreme metal, um, like the last Dying Fetus record was like the first time I really walked away being like, yeah, I get it. Like, but it's one of those for me, like, <laughs> and my point of contention always like on discography discussion is I'm like, you know, I, I know, and actually I think Dewey and I have been talking about this cause he's like, well, do you like, you know, he's, he's into punk music and stuff like that. And I, I'm typically not. And even going back to like your first question of like, what did you grow up listening to? I think the problem I have is like, I'm a big pop sensibility kind of guy with good production. And that's been something. And I, like I told Dewey, I was like, dude, all my metal that I grew up on, super fucking slick, really well produced. Like, so even though like, you know, I know there were underground bands uh, at that time, you know, like the Florida death metal scene was kind of coming and so forth. It's like, it's hard for me to listen to some of this stuff and be like, is it like, I feel like it's almost a badge of honor of being like, it's the shittiest recording we could possibly afford. Like, you know, it's like they did. They just said they didn't understand how to capture the sound. Is for really sure. Was, and I though. feel like, you know, the one example I've ever seen of that was seeing Meshuggah on the tool, uh, lateralis tour, uh, which yeah, I think they I would have been tool. on. Wasn't chaos fear. It would have been, it was, chaos was it? Fear. okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I remember seeing them and I was like, God, this band sucks. They sound like I didn't understand. I was them. like, they sound like shit. The dude's <laughs> riding some weird invisible roller coaster and like it just sounds like garbage. <laughs> now, I have since lo- found, fell in love with that band. I've seen them a couple of times since then. And the exact opposite is the case. And I realized that at that point in time, eight string guitars really didn't exist. No one knew how to fucking mix them, let alone in a fucking arena. Um, and it's just, it took technology to catch up with them and what they had to be able to present it in a way that made sense as a listener, I think. And that's the hard part is at least I feel like a band like Meshuggah has grown sonically. And I like my metal, my symphonic death metal and all that kind of shit. Like, you know, as much as everyone hates Demi Borgir, I fucking love that band because they sound good. It's it's mixed well. Like you can pick apart everything and you understand why things are there. When I go back and listen to some of the old death metal shit, I'm just like, it just sounds like blast beats. And then like who can like play the fastest fucking up and down the scale riff and, uh, you know, and as a vocalist, I feel like all you can kind of do when everything is just percussive is be also equally a percussive instrument. And it's just like it just sounds like a wall of noise. And that's been my... It's a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> wall of noise. <laughs> to, to some, yes. Um, for me, it, it's one of those, like, I... It's, it was, it's really never been my thing. Um, but thankfully, doing discography discussion, like I had told my co-host, I was like, dude, it would be so easy for me just to shit on it and be like, I don't fucking like it. I've never liked it. It sucks. I don't like it. It's... I f- but I have to realize this is someone's favorite band. This is someone's favorite record. This is a genre that they really love and it means a lot to them. And the camaraderie they have when going to shows with people who love this music too. I can't discredit that just because I don't like it or I don't understand it. So then I 
came into it going, I need to at least try to find something positive to talk about and at least be like, it's not my thing, but this was kind of cool. Or I at least noticed that this was happening over the last couple of records. And it's funny because like with that approach where I really thought a lot of people were going to shit on me, a lot of people were like, hey, at least you're trying and you didn't discredit us. <laughs> John, let's wrap this up. One last question. Classic Vox and Hops wrap up question. Uh, it probably doesn't happen to you very often because you still have a fridge full of beer. But every once in a while, it happens to everyone. What is your hangover cure? um actually i my i would have said water is my hangover here or greasy mcdonald's food mcdonald's coke actually um more recently though um this may not be legal wherever anyone else lives but uh smoking weed uh typically if i smoke after night at the bar um and drink like a glass of water or whatever but if i smoke right before i go to bed that seems to pretty much eliminate any hangover Amazing. Amazing. John, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about uh, your life, about being a podcaster, about craft beer. I, I truly appreciated it. It's been a true blast. Um, massive cheers to you and long life to Brutally Speaking Podcast. Thank you. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. This was really cool to connect with a fellow podcaster that has basically the same podcast concept as me, and uh, we really had a great time. If you would like to hear the full conversation, head on over to the Brutally Speaking podcast because John dropped his version of this episode today. Massive thanks to John for taking the time to hang out with me. I really, really appreciated it. If you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops metal podcast mailing list you could do that on my website voxandhops.com that's v-o-x-a-n-d-h-o-p-s.com and when you do that you shall receive one email a week containing all of the details of everything that has happened throughout the past week in the world of the vox and hops metal podcast so please please do me a favor sign up to the vox and hops mailing list there is just so much going on in the world of the vox and hops metal podcast i would hate for you to miss a single thing the vox and hops metal podcast is brought to you by sound talent media I have one more episode coming up tomorrow, and then I'm taking a month-long break. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Fox and Hops heads. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.